Now this is a special night. There's eight words that I want to put over us tonight and um, kind of this booklet is going to be very useful to us. Uh, we've got several talks to tonight and uh, three tomorrow. If we get to all three, we'll see. That's the plan. Uh, we always enjoy a little elasticity uh, in every, every time we do this. Uh, that is to say, we plan, but when I prayed a moment ago for um, there to be, uh, if you need a book, uh, raise your hand. Uh, we must have, right here, Steve. We must have done a great job getting these out to everybody. But it, the reason we pray for direction is we sincerely want to follow the leading of the Lord. We're not smart enough, as much as we plan and put these together, we're not smart enough to be able to get it right in, in the way we lay it out. But on top of lesson one, uh, there's, there's eight words. It's from Luke chapter 19, verse 46. I tried to remember, was, was anybody born in 1946? Anybody here? You, you don't want to admit it. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very close. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Luke 1946, and there's, there's eight words. My house shall be a house of prayer. These are eight far-reaching words of Jesus. When he said them initially, Jesus said these eight words in reference to the temple. The design of the temple was given by God, and the use of the temple was given by God. And Jesus is reminding those that have stewardship over the temple in his day what the purpose of that temple was, and of all things, he calls that temple his. My house shall be a house of prayer. That was the immediate application. But as we all know, it was never fulfilled. The temple never became, in from the moment Jesus said that, the physical temple in Jerusalem did not last long after that, and it was completely obliterated and, and destroyed. That temple, these eight words were not fulfilled in the context that Jesus first spoke them. But here, if you would follow with me, please. Think of this. Eternally, Jesus could say, my house shall be a house of prayer. Because eternally, Jesus has been with the Father and the Holy Spirit and where they dwell in the heavenlies has been continually a house of prayer. It's been a house of prayer. Now, when Jesus then started his church, he ascends to heaven, he sends his disciples back to Jerusalem. What did they do? They went and they became a house of prayer. They were Jesus's house and that house was a house of prayer. Then, throughout the New Testament, Every church that the Apostle Paul planted was a house of prayer. Um, in fact, if you read through Romans, the last chapter of the book of Romans, chapter 16, you see Paul referring to, say hi to this family and the church that meets in their house. 
What was that? It was a house of prayer. Then throughout the book of Acts, we see one house of prayer after another. In Acts chapter 9, you've got Ananias in his house of prayer. You've got down the street, Saul, the Christian killer, who's just been converted to Christ, but nobody else knew it. And Ananias heard God tell him in his house of prayer to go down the street and bless Saul with his house of prayer. Then in the next chapter, you've got the apostle Peter in his house of prayer. God appears to him in his house of prayer and sends him to Cornelius's house of prayer. And so in chapter 9 of Acts, you've got two houses of prayer. In chapter 10, you've got two. You come to Acts chapter 13, and you've got a bunch of leaders, five of them. It's a small group, but they become a house of prayer. They're a house of prayer. Acts chapter 13, the first two verses. Then you come to Acts 16. You've got Lydia, who comes to Christ, and she starts a house of prayer. You've got the... Um, Philippian jailer um, who gets saved and him and his household and they become a house of prayer. So you've got all these moments throughout the New Testament one house of prayer after another. Now I want to make it more personal and listen to me carefully. When Jesus called you to himself, and I'm saying this to every one of us, when he called you to himself he gave you his Holy Spirit so that your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when he did that, he takes the same eight words that he spoke the first time in the physical temple, and now he takes these eight words and says it to you about your body, which is the spiritual habitation, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he says to you, my house shall be a house of prayer. My house, your body, shall be a house of prayer. Yes. Now, I'm going to call you to a decision. This is kind of quick. I'm only in this for two minutes here. But I'm going to call you to make a decision right now. I'm going to call you to, make, to say with me, regarding your own body, my house shall be a house of prayer. Would you say that with me? My house shall be a house of prayer. Say it again. My house shall be a house of prayer. One more time and we'll seal it. My house shall be a house of prayer. That's what Jesus is saying. These eight words have far-reaching ramification for you. He wants your life, your body to be a house of prayer. Now, let's take it one step further. And this is where we come in a powerful application here. For, for, for you this evening. And this is what brings us here. We're not just talking about your own private prayer life here. We all have relationships. Now, it starts with your private prayer life, but don't allow it to end there. In, in fact, really all over the world, it's only Americans and Europeans that we have to talk into this. It's true. You don't have to talk Latin Americans into praying publicly together. You don't have to talk uh, Asians into it. You don't have to talk Africans into it. It's Europeans and North Americans. We are the more private. We're the more um, uh, independent. 
Um, we are, uh, to put it negatively, but we are the, the less community-oriented of all peoples. And this is why we need to emphasize this, that our prayer lives absolutely need to extend beyond our own private prayer time. Yes. God intends us to build in some way, and we're going to see the various ways that this can take place. Because regardless of your station in life, now just, just follow me on this, please. Regardless of your station in life, you can either say, when it comes to building a house of prayer, I'll do it later. Now's not the time. Or you will realize now is the time. And you're, you're going to make a decision tonight and tomorrow morning what it's going to be for you. Every station in life, you can put it off till later. You can put it off till the next thing happens, till the next thing. And then make excuse after excuse after excuse. I've heard them all. I've used them all. Yeah. <laughs> now, listen, if you're a single person, you have a best friend, you have a Christian friend. They don't even need to be local, they can be somewhere else. But you can make an agreement with that Christian friend, whether local or across the country or in another continent, you can make a commitment to pray at this time slot together, even if it's five minutes, 15, 45 minutes, the time frame doesn't matter, but it's the connection that matters. You can make a commitment, whether it's once a week or whatever the time frame is, if you're single, you can have that kind of, you can start today to build a house of prayer. If you're newlyweds, it's absolutely a perfect time to start your house of prayer. Yes. There is no better way to sow righteousness and, and good patterns into your marriage, into your lives, than as newlyweds to start praying together consistently. There's no better time. If you have young children, it's one of the most challenging times, no question about it. Hallelujah. Um, It'll, it'll make it tear your hair out. You'll, you'll start with high expectations and soon you'll crash and burn. Oh, um, Sherry and I have experienced this. Trust me, we, we know what it is. But, but at, that, at that stage, once you start having little ones, and once you have midnight feedings and it, it totally fouls up your schedules, it's tough to maintain your house of prayer. We get all that. But what Sherry and I agreed to early on was consistent inconsistency. Yeah. yeah. And we found great freedom in that. Consistent inconsistency. It would come and go, but we'd always come back. Yeah. And we'd always come back. We'd, we'd go at a season without it, and then we'd come back. It was like a due north on our compass. The compass got shaken up and we lost our way, but we'd always come back. And God gives grace to all that. Yeah. No harm, no foul. Yeah. When your kids get like in elementary school, that, that's a more challenging time, believe it or not. You, you have little ones and you wonder, oh, how can I get more confusing? Then you've got soccer practice, you've got band rehearsal, you've got all these. Uh, and now during COVID, you've got you know, in class, you've got online learning, uh, you're, you're now a homeschooler, and plus you're trying to keep your job. I mean, it goes on and on. These are complex days. But it doesn't take long. Don't make it fancy. Yeah. Bring it down, bring down your expectations. Make it one minute. 
but do it. Now, when your kids get in high school, as far as we were concerned, that was the most complex time. If, you, if you're younger than that, you might oh, good grief, we've got this. Now, we absolutely love parenting high school students. Some of you are dreading it. We absolutely loved it. There was never a time we dreaded and there was never a time we hated. But uh, high school, I mean, first of all, all your money's going out the, out the door. I mean, you can hardly go a week that you don't give your kid a $20 bill. I mean, it's just, it's a constant. So when finances are down, it's like everything's down and it becomes hard to build your house. I get all that. We've done it. We've been there. Let me tell you, consistent inconsistency. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You adopt, you roll with the punches, you morph what you do. Now, if you're empty nesters, you have absolutely no excuse. I'm serious. This is the time you guys want to be thriving. You want to have the best prayer uh, lives of anybody in the world. I'm telling you, I'm serious. It's true. If you've got distractions, you put them there. I mean, come on, I'm serious. I'm speaking from experience on this one. You can't tell me, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I know what I'm talking about. And then if you're a widowed or a widower, I get that. And it's tough. That's, that may be a, a huge step to take. But you can still find a brother or a sister with whom you have a heart-to-heart -heart friendship. God will give you a prayer partner. It will never replace your spouse. You'll, you'll live with that sorrow until you see Jesus. Um, but, but, and I'm not telling you to get over it. All I'm telling you is live now. Don't tell me it's impossible now because you're lying. It is absolutely possible to have a house of prayer no matter where you are on that spectrum. God will give you a house of prayer. He will give you a prayer for us. They'll give you that person with whom you can pray consistently. Hallelujah. And frankly, the, the times that I, I admitted are the tough ones. From uh, when you bring the baby home from the hospital for the first time uh, till you pay your last college bill. Hallelujah. <laughs> Those are the best years for a house of prayer. Yes. They're the best years. They are the best years. Don't miss those years. If you miss those years, you're going to live to regret it. it. Frankly, and I don't need to be manipulative in saying this, but I've got to say, if you don't start now your house of prayer, you will regret it. I'm just saying it. Now is the time. My house shall be a house of prayer. We may, be, we may have mess, but we're a house of prayer. We may be consistently inconsistent, but we're a house of prayer. Uh, whatever it is for you, do it. Start it. Make your appointment with God. Keep it. Start small. Be yourself. Keep it real. But start. Do it. Yes. Keep it short. One of the, one of the biggest problems, and you're going to hear some testimonies today and tomorrow. We share testimonies to give illustrations, but not so that you judge yourself according to others. When I was younger, I read these biographies of guys who would pray eight hours or get up at four in the morning. So for 
a month, I set my alarm and I got up at four in the morning. By the second week, I almost sprained my neck, falling off my chair, falling asleep. And then I realized they didn't have electricity back then and they went to bed at four in the afternoon. Of course they got up at four in the morning. I'm still working at nine and 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and then I pull my jets for a couple hours. Uh, so I don't go to bed till midnight. How, how sharp did they expect me to be at four o'clock in the morning? My point is don't judge yourself by anyone else. The standard is Jesus and he loves you. And he wants you to step in and say today with me in words, my house shall be a house of prayer. My house shall be a house of prayer. And nowhere does it say you gotta uh, do the dishes before you can have a house of prayer. You, you don't have to vacuum before you have a house of prayer. You don't have to take the beverage bottles off your end table before you have a house of prayer. You don't have to do the laundry or even clean up those laundry off the floor before you can have a house of prayer. Hallelujah. Anybody with me tonight? Oh man. You know, in these days, I realized house guests, um, you're a little more cautious. Sherry and I have yet to have an indoor party. We had a couple small ones in our backyard this summer, but we still haven't had anybody over inside. Um, and for no extended time, we don't have overnight guests like we always do and, and all that. You're, you're more cautious. But I'm telling you, there's a house guest that you can welcome into your home, and his name is Jesus. Amen. He will help you deal with all your issues. He, he comes to you, into your home, without any fuss. He, he'll help you be more yourself than you've ever been. And he will show himself to you. Hallelujah. Now, at the end of this lesson, how do I how to start building a house of prayer? Well, obviously, you ask God to help you. You pray. But the declaration, I want to I want to call you to make this declaration with me tonight. And there's a box there for you to check, and I, I encourage you to check it to make the determination tonight. It's going to be messy. It's going to be consistently inconsistent. But it, my house shall be a house of prayer. Would you start there? Would you make that declaration? My house shall be a house of prayer. If, if you're a teenager, you, you don't have the rule of the roof, but you, you, most of you have the rule over your, your bedroom or half of it or something. You can say that part of the house is going to be a house of prayer. If you're a college student in a dorm room, you can't speak for your roommate, but you can speak for your half of the room, and you can say my house shall be a house of prayer. Would you do that? Then the second is ask the Lord and, and think. If, you, if you're married, talk to your spouse about when we should do this. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you uh, who are married in a moment uh, to be more consistent than this. But if you're a, a mom and a dad and you've got kids under your roof still, um, whether they ought to have moved on by now or not, then it's all good. But if you've got kids under the roof, you can at least meet once a week. Surely, uh, Sunday evening, sometime. Uh, some of you will want to do it daily. Uh, Sherry did it 
uh, every day before the kids went to school, she had their time, and then we would have at least once a week, and sometimes uh, for months we do it every weeknight and all that. Um, you, you do different rotations, but pick your time, pick the frequency, and pick your start date. And I'm recommending you to do it within the next seven days. Say, with this week, we're going to start our house of prayer. Um, let me back up a moment and define house of prayer. I should have done this sooner. A house of prayer is a gathering, a consistent gathering of praying Christians who encounter the manifest presence of Christ. Anywhere, anytime, anyone. A consistent gathering of praying Christians who encounter the manifest presence of Christ. You don't need to write it down, it is in your notes, but if you wrote it, you probably remember it better than just reading it. We encourage everyone to start small. You can grow it from there, but make a commitment that is lower than what you hope to keep, rather than some gigantic commitment that you'll keep for a month if you're lucky. And then a few of these suggestions, uh, we've already mentioned, be brief, be bold, I'd add be yourself, be biblical, be a blessing, uh, do it with joy, don't do it with uh, a frown. This shouldn't be, uh, you know, passive aggressive. We ought to be entering in <laughs> uh, optimistically that this is going to be great. And there, we're going to see lots of promises in the Bible that God will meet you uh, powerful and profoundly, profoundly. Be creative. And it is so important to be consistent, even consistently inconsistent. I want to just talk for a moment with uh, those who are married to Christians. When we got married, uh, we, were, we loved the Lord. I, I've been uh, committed to Christ for a long time, since high school, and, uh, and a devout follower of Christ. But I was not anticipating praying with Sherry every day. That wasn't what I signed on for. No, I mean, we pray at breakfast, we pray at lunch, we pray at dinner, and it was, we thought we were doing pretty good. But, but into the marriage, Sherry says, honey, can we pray together? I said, well, we pray breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's three times a day. I mean, come on, give me a little credit. Well, no, I just want to pray together. Well, as time went on, um, she was always very nice about it. She never badgered me. Um, I mean, she could have been a little feisty about it. And, um, but she was the, you know how kind she is. She was kind, she was patient, extremely patient. Well, we, and we would have times of prayer, but, but definitely, I mean, very infrequently besides meals. So, uh, about 11 years into the marriage, I made a commitment to share. I came home and asked her to forgive me for not being the spiritual leader in our marriage. And I repented. And then I said, and, and I, I will, I promise, I commit myself to pray with you every day from now on. And then all of a sudden, I felt this huge weight of responsibility on my shoulders. And so I said, and if I forget, please remind me. Uh, that was to was make sure she knew that she was half responsible. For us to fulfilling this vow that I had taken. 
Well, in the first month, I forgot a couple of times, and I called her and said, we forgot to pray last night. It wasn't I forgot. We forgot to pray last night. So uh, we prayed. And since then, we pray every, every day, every night, sometimes several times. But if we haven't prayed, at least in the evening, uh, before uh, bedtime, we, we pray. And it has been absolutely the greatest thing. Today, there's no one I would rather pray with, with than share. There's no one I get more answers to prayer with than share. Um, and normally, every week, we have an extended time of prayer. During the week, um, either I or she will pray. Sometimes we'll both pray. We might, might pray back and forth. But at least once a week, we have an extended time. We do road trips, and we do road trips. We can pray an hour, two hours together with our eyes open, of course. But um, uh, it, it has been absolutely wonderful. If I'm angry, go to bed angry. I'll say, you pray. Well, she's way too smart. She says, oh, no, I think you need to <laughs> So I'll get my heart right, and then I'll pray. Hallelujah. The Bible says, don't go to bed uh, angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So the commitment to pray together is one of the best ways to, to pull out need out of your marriage. Um, but then the benefits of seeing so many answers to prayer. Often I'll be pacing all around this room and, and up against the wall and I'll call Sherry and say, I'm I just not, I need a breakthrough. Would you pray with me? And she'll agree with me in prayer. And before we're done, like within a minute or two, damn, there's the breakthrough. It's, it's absolutely amazing how quick we get answers to prayer. And um, if I'm out of the country and I have two minutes to call, I'll talk with her for one minute, we'll pray for one minute. But we always touch, we always touch. We always touch God. One night I came home and uh, we were tired and we were out at a, at a movie or something and got home late and we were shocked. And then I said, uh, I'm laying there, you pray. And she's, she's shocked. She goes, uh-huh, you pray. <laughs> so here was my prayer. Good night, God. That was it. That was it. But we touched God. Hallelujah. Now, you may think that's silly or stupid or legalistic. I promise you it's not legalistic. I don't think I'm more righteous because I do this, but I am more blessed. I am. There's no question. I'm blessed because we do this. Legalism gets you to do stuff you don't want to do. This is a commitment that I made because I want to do it, and it helps me do it. And I encourage you, husbands and wives, humble yourselves, approach each other now, tonight. There's no time like now. Do it now. Those of you watching from home, you've got no excuse. You've got nobody else around. Hallelujah. Make the commitment tonight, tonight. Humble yourself. Did I say humble yourself? Let me tell you. And I'm going to just speak to the, the, the folks at home. The number one reason, I've got 18 reasons men don't like to pray with their wives. And, and the reason I know this is because I was guilty of all 18. But the number one is I don't like to do anything with Sherry that she's better at than I am. It's true. We used to play, what was that game we used to play? Kufere. And Mealborn. So, Mealborn. Have you ever heard of Mealborn? No. <laughs> it's a stupid old game. Sherry was, was like, she, she could have gone to the Olympics with Milbourne. 
And she beat me every time. I threw the dumb game out. <laughs> well, one day she says, well, where's my mealborn game? I said, oh, I threw that out. Why do something with your wife that she beats you at home? Well, it was kind of that way with prayer. It was like I kept getting, you know, she prays better than I do. I don't mind admitting, Sherry prays better than I do. And when, when I pray, it's usually short. When she prays, it's usually long. <laughs> How many of you guys would say, I'm married to a woman who prays better than I do? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's so many of us. If you didn't raise your hand on that one, you might want to rethink it. <laughs> <laughs>
our congregation and around Atlanta, build our house of prayer to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Let's thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.